If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I'm going to do my best through the fog in my brain and the experiences I've had over the last seven or eight days to try and kick us off on a brand new series, okay? I just returned from India and I have questions. I've got burning questions. Why were my kids born here with everything they have? And the children that I met were born there with nothing. Why? Why do people with so little, why can they take us to school, those of us who have so much, in the school of joy? How come they don't complain? How come they don't whine? How come they don't have all the burning questions that we have and they have absolutely nothing? But they are joyful and we are depressed, sad, and can't figure out what end is up. Why is that possible? How is that possible? When a parent brings their child to an orphanage and abandons them on the front doorstep because they cannot feed them, does that make that parent a villain or a hero? What would I do if my kid couldn't eat? What do I do with the pastors that I met who would take off their shirts and show me the electrocution marks and the whip marks on their backs. What do I do with them knowing the very reason they did that is because they did. They dared to do what I'm doing right here, right now. Just speak the name of Jesus. What do I do with those guys? What do I do with the fact that most of them are between 18 and 20 years old? Teenage kids who every day take their life into their hands for the same sake of doing what I do every single weekend. Why did I get to fly away from the poverty and they had to stay? Why did God choose an 80-pound Catholic nun with really good theology? Why did God use this pint-sized little person to transform the spiritual dynamic of an entire city. How did that happen when she viewed herself as a, her words, stubby little pencil in the hand of God? What am I going to do with the epitaph that was written in flowers on top of her tomb that said, do whatever he tells you to do? Am I going to do that or not? That's a good question. What do I do with the guy that I saw sitting in front of a tree? He was an animist. He was worshiping nature, worshiping the actual tree, sitting in front of a tree, watching the ants for hours on end run up and down this tree. And every once in a while, he would put his hand out like this in a sign of worship towards the tree. Why is that so easy to call idolatry when I sit in front of a television? an inanimate object, a box, for hours on end watching little ants run around with football helmets and shoulder pads and really tight pants. And every once in a while, I raise my hand in an act of worship. Why is it so easy to call what he's doing idolatry and yet what I'm doing just participating in America's favorite pastime? Some of you are like, you really want to go there? Yes, I do. I have one more burning question. This is like five of the thousands that I have. 
Did the people at Christ the King who sacrificed $39 a month to look after the children that I met over the last week and a half, do you really have any idea how much of a change you've made in their life? Do you realize you're not just providing food and clothing for them? Do you realize that those children, some of the children that I met, could stand and quote lengthy passages of Scripture because they're not being trained to remain as orphans. They're being trained to become pastors and missionaries back to the very tribal groups that they came out of. Do you understand that you're actually participating for 39 bucks a month in the evangelization of the nation of India? Do you have any clue what you're doing by sacrificing a couple of mochas? Do you have any idea how much these little children touched my heart when they hugged my legs and said, say hi to auntie and uncle for me? That's what they call their adopted parents over here. Aunties and uncles. Why would God let us be a part of something that beautiful? from halfway around the world. Welcome to a brand new series called Burning Questions. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to try and answer some of the questions that have been submitted via text and through the website. I can't possibly touch them all because because there's just not enough time, but I was amazed that almost all of your questions fell into four or five categories. And I'm going to try and touch on those four or five categories We're going to see what the Bible has to say to our burning question. And to begin the series, I thought we'd better prepare ourselves for a series on questions by figuring out just how God feels about people that are skeptics and maybe have a doubt from time to time. I thought, you know, if Jesus has a problem with people who ask questions, we may want to rethink the content, right, for the next four or five weeks. But what if God has a soft place in his heart for people who are skeptical? What if God has absolutely no problem with your toughest question? What if he would actually welcome that and say, give it your best shot. Ask your question, but also be satisfied with the answer that I give you. Because I find that's a problem for a lot of us. We, We want the answer and we ask for it, but when we don't get one that doesn't come into our sphere of understanding, then we just dismiss it and this is our thing. God doesn't care. God doesn't possibly love me. Here's what I want to say to Christ the King. We're going to answer some of the questions. Have you got the courage to accept the answers for what they are? That's the question. You know, maybe if we find out that God has a soft place for those who question, maybe more than just finding a whole bunch of answers, maybe we'll actually just find an increased desire to want to ask. So this weekend, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trace the questions of the doubting follower of Jesus, a guy by the name of Thomas. Okay, now don't forget, we started in India. We're going to go in a great big circle, and let me tell you how that's going to work. Thomas gets a bad rap because of one soundbite. At the end of his life, he asks a famous big fat question. The question basically says this, I'll believe it when I see it. How can I possibly believe that God is actually alive? That's his question. I don't think it's fair to judge a man based on a soundbite. So let's do a little checking on the rest of his life statements. That's the one he's famous for. But whatever happened to Thomas on the way to that question? Well, if you jump back several chapters in your Bible, the Bible tells the story of a death of a friend of Jesus, a guy by the name of Lazarus. 
When Jesus hears that Lazarus is dying, he announces that he's going to go back home to his friend's place, to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he's actually going to go and, and, and try to help out. Here was the problem. The last time Jesus was in that hometown, the religious leaders tried to kill him. So when he stands up with his disciples and says, hey guys, guess what? We're going to go back to where they tried to kill us. The disciples are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to do what? We're going to go where? I don't think so except for one guy. One disciple stands up and basically says, well, if he's going to go and die, we might as well go with him, right? He's our rabbi and we go where we're supposed to go. And if he's going back, we're going to go back. If we die, we die. I guess that's just the way it goes. Anybody have a guess as to who the one courageous disciple was that put up his hand and said, if you're going, I'm going with you, Jesus. Thomas, Mr. Questioner, Mr. Doubter. Don't believe me? John 11, verse 16. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Here's the conclusion. Before Thomas was ever known as a man for questions and doubts, Thomas began as a devoted man of conviction. He was a man of conviction. Let me tell you why that's important, okay? If you and your questions... Don't come from a foundation of conviction. You will spend your life never being content with any answers that you ever get. You're just going to be asking questions for the sake of asking questions. You're never going to be satisfied. You're going to be able to lock in on anything. You're just going to be spinning inside of the questions unless you start from a basis of faith. See, some of the questions that we ask, we're just asking them for the sake of asking the question. We aren't really open to an answer Because we don't want to take the step of faith that starts us from a place of belief. And I'm telling you, as we walk through this series, you have got to start from a place of belief. And that's where Thomas was at this point. Thomas believed before he even got to the questions that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He was the Son of God and God the Son. And it was from that basis that he began to ask his burning questions. Where are you starting from? Are you starting from a place of God is never going to be able to convince me about anything? Then you're probably going to be stuck there forever. Unless you open your heart and say to yourself, I'm going to start from a basis of conviction that I believe God is who he says he is and that he actually does love me. Let's start from there and then work our way forward. One of the most famous questions in the Bible comes from Thomas. Jesus had been kind of freaking his disciples out because every once in a while he gathered them together and said, hey guys, here's the deal. I'm going to have to die, okay? I know that's not great news for you. I'm going to have to die and then I'm actually going to go and leave you alone. I'm going to go back to heaven, but don't worry about it. God's going to send the Holy Spirit to look after you and it's going to be fine, but, but I'm leaving. I mean, you can imagine, that just kind of freaked those guys out. And Jesus keeps telling them, I'm going to have to die, I'm going to have to go away. And they're having a real hard time wrapping their minds around those statements. And Thomas is the one disciple who actually has the courage to ask the question that everybody else is thinking. They just don't want to say it out loud. Thomas says this in John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's a good question. You keep talking about the fact that you're leaving and you're going this way and you're going that way. And we're like, what are you talking about? You're supposed to stay. You're going to be the king. That means we're all going to be princes. It's going to be awesome. Let's just stay right here. It's all good. What are you talking about? Don't talk about dying all the time. That's just weird. Jesus answered. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. I want you to notice this. Tom, Thomas wanted answers to his burning questions, so he asked the one who could actually answer. Here's a question for you. As we begin to ask all of these questions, where do you go for truth? Here's what I find with human beings. Instead of going to the God of all truth with our deepest questions, we just ask a whole bunch of other people who are just as clueless as we are. And then we can't figure out why we never get an answer that makes any difference. Thomas went right to the source. Jesus, you keep talking about who you are, so I just want to know once and for all. I don't know where you're going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus said, I'm the way. Oh, really? I thought the way was a location. No. I'm the way. I'm the truth. You don't need anything, any other kind of truth except for me. I'm the life. Even though I keep talking about dying, you're going to need to remember that, Thomas. I'm the life. I'm going to die three days later. Don't forget what I told you. I'm the life. That's a clue as to what's going to happen. Who do you go to for answers? Do you go to God or do you listen to the wisdom of human beings who are just trying to, to, trying to get some kind of semblance of order from the position that they're in? Now, we know this. Sometimes God uses people to speak truth into our lives. But my question is this. Who do you go to first? And will you ever be satisfied with what it is that he says? Secondly, I love the fact Jesus was more than willing to give the answers. He says, here's what you need to know, Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to get to God is to go through me. Son of God, God the Son. There's only one way. There's no other roads. There's no alternative belief systems. I'm it. Now, here's what I love about Jesus saying this. It's the fact that it ticks everybody off. Because in our world, it's just like, no, 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 all roads. You can, you, there's lots of ways to get to God. Not according to Jesus. Now, for some of us, it's just like, I don't like that. You're welcome to have that position. You're welcome to ask that hard question. Jesus telling the truth here? You're going to have to grapple with that. Just so you know, that's one of those eternal questions that we are all going to have to answer at some point. There aren't just alternatives, but here's what I love. Jesus doesn't shame Thomas for asking a tough question. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't embarrass him. It doesn't say, and Jesus was mortally offended by Thomas's statement and said, don't you ever ask that again. That's not in your Bible. So here's the conclusion. I guess it's okay to ask God our toughest questions. I don't think he has a problem with you asking. Here's my invitation for the next five weeks. Bring it on. But remember something. You're not asking your question to Grant. You're asking your question to God. Go to him for your answer. Okay? If we follow the line of thought through there, here's the next little blank in your outline. Thomas deepened his conviction with the answers of Jesus. Thomas took the words of Jesus as true. Okay, this is where I'm going to build my questions from. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and I can't get to God unless I go through you first. So that's where I'm going to start from. He continued to follow, and then the reality is this. His world got rattled. He got completely turned upside down. In the chapters that follow, the Bible says that Thomas follows Jesus to Jerusalem. 
He's there on the day when Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem as a conquering king, and he's still thinking, I don't know why all this death talk keeps talking. He looks very much alive to me. He's going to become a conquering king. We're going to wipe out Rome, and I'm going to be a prince. This is going to be great. He's there when Jesus serves communion to his friends. He's like, this is awesome. He keeps talking about that dead thing again. He's there when Jesus goes to the garden to pray. He's there when Jesus gets upset and comes back and says, you guys can't stay awake for even a couple of hours and pray with me while I'm going through this. Thomas is there. Thomas is there when Judas shows up. Jesus gets arrested. He follows the trial from a distance and he's completely devastated when the way, the truth, and the life is sentenced to death. He's got questions. Why doesn't Jesus stick up for himself? Why doesn't he call on us to testify? Why doesn't he just call heavenly fire down and get a whole bunch of angels to come and just wipe this people out? Why doesn't he answer my prayer? Why is Jesus suffering? Why am I suffering? Why is this happening? And Thomas finds himself in a place where we all find ourselves in life. He's got way more questions than we've got answers to. And then he sees it with his own eyes. Thomas watches the way, the truth, and the life die. Not swoon, not pass out. He watches him die. He lives the pain of that himself. It's real, it's personal, it's undeniable. Thomas goes from hero to zero in a matter of days, and now he's just alone with his reality. We all find ourselves there, don't we? Somebody we love dies, and we're stuck. Somebody, maybe us, has that conversation with our doctor, and they say, you've got cancer, and we have to try. How does God loving me fit with that sentence? His reality said, I'm alone His reality said, Jesus is dead, God doesn't care, and I was an absolute fool for holding to my convictions. And for three days, Thomas is plagued by his questions. Why did I leave my job behind? Why did I get a hold of that rabbi? Why didn't I follow that other guy that came along and said I should follow him? What am I going to do with all of this stuff now? Now, I mean, ah! He's plagued by his questions, and then somebody has the audacity to show up one morning and say these words. Jesus is alive. Really? You're nuts. I saw it with my own eyes. Dead. They stuck a spear in his side. Stuff came out. That was gross. We're done. You don't tell me he's back alive again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. This is crazy. Thomas finds himself at a place we all find ourselves in. We just want proof, right? We want the answer to our questions. We want the miracle. We want the pain to go away. We want to see God do something. We want to see it with our own eyes. We want God just to show up in the midst of our pain and say, you want an answer? I'll give you an answer. That's what Thomas was saying. I saw it with my own eyes. You can't convince me otherwise. Sorry, guys. I did this game once. We're not doing it again. Sorry. He's dead. We're idiots. And on we go. 
John chapter 20, starting at verse 24. The holy word of God says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Not going to happen. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Remember back at Christmas when we were always talking about angels showing up saying, Don't be afraid, right? That's easy when you're the angel, right? All of a sudden, here's God standing in front of you, the same guy that walked on water and did that, all this stuff, and his first comment is, peace be with you. I think not, right? (laughs) Freak out be with you. Okay, that's better, right? Then he said to Thomas, I love this, he didn't talk to anybody else. Just Mr. Question. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger right here. See my hand. Reach out your hand. Put it right inside me. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say Thomas touched him. Jesus just said, here's your answer right here. And that was enough for Thomas. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. A couple quick notes as we get ready to wrap up here. Okay, first one is this. Thomas needed to see it with his own eyes. He needed to see the answer to his burning question. Is Jesus really alive? There's nothing wrong with asking those questions. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see it with your own eyes. It's absolutely human. But we have to understand something. God doesn't just meet us in the point of what we can see. He meets us in the point of faith. When we've got to stand on a conviction that says this does not make any sense whatsoever. But there has to be God in here somewhere. There's nothing wrong with wanting it. It's unbelievably human. And this is how Jesus touches him there. Jesus met Thomas in his question. Just like the answer before, Jesus meets Thomas with the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You ask the question and it doesn't invalidate who I say that I am. I'm standing right in front of you, Thomas. Come on. Whatever you need to do, you put it to the test because now's your moment when you've got to take a step of faith and believe And here's the final little point. Thomas deepened his conviction with his declaration of faith. I mean, listen to the words that he says. My Lord and my God. He's essentially saying this. I knew it was you. Had a little moment there. That whole cross thing and you dying, that threw me. But I always knew it was you. When you're walking on the water, I knew it was you. When you healed the blind guy, I knew it was you. When you touched me and met me in all my questions, when you stayed up all night listening to me whine and complain about everything I didn't understand, I, I knew it was you. And now I'm on the other side of the pain, and I'm ready for the answer to this question. And I'm going to give you the answer. You're the Lord, and you're God. 
Let's stop there for a second. Did you notice what Jesus said to Thomas after he made his statement? I hope you'll get this because Jesus proves himself to Thomas and then he starts talking to the rest of us. This is what Jesus said. Because you've seen me to Thomas, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not yet seen and yet have believed. He's saying this, you, you got to see it, Thomas, and then you chose to believe. But there's going to be a whole bunch of people who won't get the benefit of actually seeing me. And those people, those people who don't get to see me but still believe, who start with their conviction of belief, they are going to be even more blessed than you as one of my disciples because I'm going to meet them in their question. He's saying, if you're willing to take the step of faith first and move to the point of conviction and ask your questions from that vantage point, God promises, I'll show up and give you an answer. You may not like my answer, but I'll answer it for you. Jesus can answer the question, why did my child have to die? Let me remind you, God knows exactly how it feels to lose a kid. Why did I miscarry four times? Jesus can answer that question. God, why is there so much evil in the world today? God can answer that question. If we'll start from a place of conviction, not a place or an attitude that says, go ahead, God, prove yourself. That attitude says one thing. I think I'm God. And unless you satisfy my curiosity, we're not going to have this conversation. Folks, he's talking about us here. He's talking about those who choose to believe in God even when there's more questions than answers. He's talking about those of us who choose to believe in God even when our life is falling apart and our prayers are going unanswered. He's talking about people who believe God is a God of love even when we're in the midst of suffering Let me add one more quick point here on the end. Thomas's questions led him to a deeper passion for sharing Jesus. If you read your Bible, you get to about John 20, and Thomas just kind of disappears off the map. He doesn't show up very much anymore. You kind of go looking for him, and his name just didn't pop up. Hit the book of Acts, a few little things here and there, but just like, what in the world ever happened to Thomas? The Bible stops telling his story, but history begins to pick his story up from that point couple of centuries, a couple of decades, sorry, after Jesus actually dies and then is resurrected from the dead and goes back to heaven, Thomas kind of gets this fire inside of him. And the answer to his question, he believes, needs to get shared with a whole bunch of other people. So he starts telling the story in some of the most amazing and incredible ways in different places around the world. In fact, the conviction of the truth of Jesus, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, picks up Thomas and actually walks him Miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And he finally ends up in this wonderful land, a place that we now know as India. Remember I told you we're going to go in one great big circle? Thomas died sharing the message of Jesus in India. He was martyred for his faith in India. He died saying, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas was the first missionary to ever preach the gospel in India. And last week, 
I got to go to his gravesite. Only God's that good with timing, right? Because I did not know we were going there. This is a picture of the church that's built over top of the tomb of Thomas. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's about one block away from the largest Hindu temple in the entire country. It stands in stark contrast to the darkness and the futility of trying to get to a God that's never satisfied. Instead, Thomas is the one that says, this is the God we serve. A God who was so humble, he actually came here to declare his love for us. He did all the work. We don't need to do any of the work anymore because he did it. In the work of salvation, he accomplished it. And this beautiful church is built over top. And if you go downstairs into the basement, there's this stone tomb and there's an inscription on the side of it that says these words. My Lord and my God. The answer to Thomas's questions actually turned him into a missionary. Let me ask you a question, Christ the King. Before you ask your burning question, are you willing to go there? Oh boy, we just got really quiet, didn't we? Are you willing to share the answer that God has given you? See, Thomas wanted to tell others who'd never ever seen him to believe that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. So apparently, if you just look at Thomas's life, apparently Jesus has a special place in his heart for skeptics and doubters and people with really, really, really tough questions. So I asked you three questions on the back of your outline that you can be thinking about this week. Number one, what is my burning question to God? Now that you know what God does with skeptics, turns them into pastors and missionaries, it's going to take a whole lot more courage for you to write down your question, right? Because now you can't hide behind it anymore. Question number two, am I willing to wait for and live with his answer? Even if I don't like the answer, am I willing to go? That's God's answer. I'm going to have to struggle with that. And thirdly, will I actively use that answer to share Jesus with other people who also have burning questions? I want to make sure that we all have realistic expectations going into this series. First of all, there's no way that I'm going to be able to answer all of the questions that were submitted because we've had hundreds, okay? Secondly, there are some questions that will never be answered to your satisfaction on this side of heaven because there's not enough human understanding for us to wrap our heads or our hearts around it. That's just the reality of it. I wish it was different, but it's not. Here's the cool thing. If you base your life on what Jesus said to Thomas and accept in your heart that he is the way, the truth, and the life, someday you will get an answer to ask that question face-to-face, and then Jesus will answer it for you if you start there. And thirdly, I want to remind you again, the Bible says what the Bible says, whether we like it or not. Whether it makes us comfortable or not. But my prayer is that we will find the words of Jesus that he said to Thomas and that they will sustain us through this journey. The words that said, blessed are those who have not seen, but still believe. On one of our last days in India, I went down and we actually took a boat ride on the river Ganges. 
It's considered a holy river in India. If you go there during the right time of the year, you will literally see millions of Hindus come and dip themselves in a river whose pollution level is 1,200 times above what is acceptable in this country. In this country, you would not bath your dog in that river. That's how polluted and disgusting it is. And we sat there even off-season and watched hundreds of people coming and dipping themselves in this river. And when I asked the pastor who we were with, what is their goal in doing that? He said, they're asking their gods, over three million of them, three million gods, to wash away their sin. And I sat there on the side of that boat, and this was my burning question. What can one kid from Brandon, Manitoba, who gets to talk to about 4,000 people every weekend, do about that? Can't change that. Can't do anything about that. I mean, what are we doing? You know what Jesus' answer was to me? You pick about 200 kids in this country and you clothe them and you feed them and you teach them about me and then you get out of their way because maybe you're not supposed to win their country back to Jesus. Maybe they are. You just stay out of their way. You watch them. Don't you dare abdicate on your responsibility. You've been blessed to be a blessing so you get in the game but you just unleash them on this country and you watch if I don't resurrect a couple of Thomases out of that little group. I got a word from one of our intercessors before we left that I was supposed to worship while I was in India. I'm like, there were no opportunities. We were just running from place to place and we were just going faster than I knew what to do. I find myself on the side of the river Ganges watching people bathe themselves in polluted water to try and absolve themselves of sin. And as I'm sitting there, God puts a song in my heart. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know how we're going to reach India? We're going to do it through a group of children. And their message is, nothing can wash away their sin but the blood of Jesus. I got a little fired up. actually went to the back of the boat so Rich and Kim and Matt couldn't see me. And I stood behind the, the cabin and I lifted my hands and I began to sing a song that we like to sing around here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, I just on the back of a boat sweaty, hot, everything smells bad, it looks bleak, I got more questions than I've got answers. And guess what happened in the middle of all my questions? The way the truth and the life showed up. He said, don't you lose heart. I'm just getting started. So we're going to pray. 
And then Ryan's going to come out here, and he's going to lead that song. And you're going to sing it if you like it or not. Because to whom much has been given, much will be required. And this is our opportunity to join with the God of heaven, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who's reaching Bellingham and Calcutta, India right this second. And we're going to sing worship to him and praise to him. We're going to take the position of Thomas and say, I got more questions than I got answers. But this one thing I know, you are my Lord and you are my God. And that is enough for me. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for pushing back the fog of my brain tonight and allowing me to hear what your word is saying. I pray that it will have inspired or touched someone else's heart here to take their answer and their burning question and to turn it into a mission field. So, Father, as we give back to you our tithes and our offerings right now, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, God, help us not to check out right now. Lord, help us to sing with the angels that you are the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to you. No one comes to your Father unless they go through you first. Father, may our conviction be that your answers are enough for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.